Give me the green light. Give me just one night. I'm ready to go right now. I'm ready to go right now. Cause I'm ready to go. Welcome, everybody, to episode 137 of the Greenlight Podcast, POC E-Phrase, and we are back to recap week one of the college basketball season. We are recording Sunday, November 12th, with my JV football team, the New England Patriots, uh, on in the background. It's a sad, sad time. (laughs) We knew the cliff was going to be pretty big. I didn't think it was going to be this big of a fall off starting a college basketball podcast talking about NFL football but man is Bill Belichick gonna survive this is my I mean if anything I think this should help make you appreciate John Shire even more I love Johnny because not it's not apples to apples but the fact of like, all right, you're transit. You don't have Tom Brady anymore. You're about yeah. you're you're going this new. It's era. A little different, but yeah, I know what you're saying. But Duke, you're going into a new era, and obviously outside of Friday night, and we'll talk about it. I mean, there really has not been any fall off at all. If anything, you can make the argument with the recruiting wins they've had and Cooper Flag and just the hype and everything around Duke that they're in as good of a place as they've ever been. So yeah. No doubt. Um, all right, let's jump in. A Let's start off with what our uh, Big J journos in college basketball are complaining about, and they complain about, I would say, probably the past three or four years for sure, is the start, the launch, uh, the kickoff of the college basketball season, and essentially the lack thereof of big matchups. Um, if you looked at the slate on you know actual day one of college basketball it was a bunch of high major top 25 teams playing you know either their buy games or you know just lesser opponent duke opened up with dartmouth who'd who'd virginia open up with um the i don't even know their their mascot but the the Carlton State, uh, Billy gillespie's That's, there you go so like which, for those that don't realize yes billy gillespie is Back again, coaching Division One college basketball. I cannot believe it, but yeah, it's wild. Um, but essentially, the argument's like, hey, you know, we we really don't do a good job of kicking off the season. If you look at other sports, whether it's the NBA or the NFL, um, you know, there's a lot of consideration for the entertainment factor. I think college basketball is still maybe a little bit behind, obviously, besides March Madness in terms of like making decisions based on entertainment. All those decisions are based on I need to win 20 games to keep my job. And so Tarleton State it is uh, or Dartmouth it is. Um, And I will say like I do. We have them. It's right now. Like the Champions Classic is literally in week two. So we can wait 10 days. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Is it manufactured, you know, annoyance? Maybe. Would it be cool to see the top 10 teams play all on day one? For sure. And I think the reason, and this is, I've read, the reason why they moved Champions Classic to week two is because they didn't want it conflicting with um, Election Day, which I get. And this year is not a, like next year, it will make a lot more sense. Like no matter what matchups you get, 
the first week of November, the presidential election is going to trounce all that. So I don't think that the noise around week one of college basketball will, will be as loud next year as it was this year. Um, I think the the thing that I have, it's more about, I, I have less of a problem. I understand the coaches that maybe they don't feel prepared. Like they don't want to send their team right into, into the fire week one when they don't necessarily know what they have. And you want to prep and you want to at least have a little bit of a chance to ease yourself in. The only thing I, for the health of the game and I, where I agree with, I think a lot of the journalists and the people that are complaining is that when you have opening day in baseball, it's there's pomp, there's circumstance. It matters. People actually pay attention. College football, even when you look at it, yeah, there are a ton of buy games. There are a ton of 50 point, 40 point victories, but a lot of times now we're getting like Alabama or Florida state versus LSU has been week one each last year. So you have a massive matchup Yeah. in that scenario. The one thing that it's, it is apples to oranges there is because every single game in college football matters. It's not the same in college basketball. I mean, Tommy Lloyd even said after the game. Yeah. I like that like, quote. Like I don't he basically was like, I, will this even do anything for him? Like outside of, they're not going to be scared to go any, into any building or play anyone. But at the end of the day, like how much is that, hurting or helping it's definitely not going to hurt duke's resume i don't think in in any it probably well, it might even be a better wake-up call for duke yeah i mean i his basically his sentiment is like you don't win championships in in game two right which i yeah. i love i actually you know obviously the the loss sucked but i liked what both coaches had to say i i think they really like i think they like each other they kept no, like, they definitely compl- do. you know what i mean they kept like they complimenting do. each other and uh they seem to have like just like a mutual respect and and not similar in the sense that like they're both younger taking over historic programs. I think yep. they have maybe that bond, obviously, like he's not taking over for Lute Olsen 15, 20 years ago. But anyway, um, let's get I mean, into the game. My, the only, well, my last point I'll make is that my only issue and honestly, the buy games don't even bother me that much. Like if you look at the first night slate, like. Virginia Tech, Coppin State, like, fine, that's going to happen. Pittsburgh, North Carolina, A&T, yeah, that's going to happen. If you look down the list, there's about 30 or 40 games that were against non-D1s. That's where I don't – like. that's where it's the yeah. – that's where I, I, I would rather, like, fine, play that as an exhibition, but does – William and Mary need to be playing Regent? Does Troy need to be playing Fort Lauderdale? Does – SMU need to play Southwest Assemblies of God. Yes, that's a really, <laughs> that, that that game happened Monday night. That's where I it's like all right, just play those as exhibitions, and then you know what, like step in and and play like there have been good mid major matchups like honest and it doesn't have to be Duke Arizona. It doesn't even have to be um, New Mexico St Mary's. Like I would I would just like to see maybe an ACC team play a CAA or a Mac team or something like that and find at least have something because it's more about, I think just the health of the game of like, let's get eyeballs on our sport in a time where right now football is dominating. NBA is going on. Hockey's going on. Like how is that? How do we put more eyeballs on instead of just waiting till March when everyone, like how do we make the regular season that much more enjoyable. And I think once we get to Thanksgiving, you get the Bahamas, you get Maui classic, you get some That's of what those. I'm saying. Yeah. You like, get there, but it's just, it's almost like it's, it, it kind of makes the start of the season background noise. Whereas you don't really have that with any other sports. Like when football, baseball, college football, and all those kick off, Hey, today's the day. Like how, at least can we get a couple matchups at least, Hey, college basketball is here. And it's highlighted by this. 
and it's, yeah. all, it's we're going to crescendo. We're going to get better, but at yeah. least have yeah. something to kick us off. And and credit to you, they, we had. I mean, it was on super late at night, but like that best matchup was USC Kansas State. Yeah. Um, and but I I would like to see like I would I would have loved to see um some of the other matchups that we had just maybe on yeah that like I think set. I think we have the solution we have all of these different ter- just move the Champions Classic to the first three days like yeah. we have the and solution that, yeah. yeah and and just and we can navigate around Election Day or if we can yeah, figure like, out a way like but have something going on then where um because I don't there, think you're there's getting... a marquee thing that ESPN and Fox and see was Kim promote like you're saying day one not week one. I'm saying day one. Day one is like that's the like you have to have three good games, two yeah, good because or, how many people outside of us and like diehards were yeah. really like Monday, like Monday night football was going on. How many people you think watched the Jets and the Chargers over college basketball? But how many people would probably have the vast like, majority? Yeah, except and, us. but but if you're telling me that you're gonna get a like let's just say, for example, like that Duke, Arizona was night one whether it's yeah. at home or neutral court, you're going to get so many more eyeballs, but there just wasn't that. And, and again, they, they, you're not always going to be blessed with, not that it was an ugly matchup, but like Jets, Chargers, it's it's not like it was yeah, it's not incredible premium, yeah. top matchup that you can't miss TV. No. But the casual, like how do you get the casuals to pay more attention? And I don't mean that as a derogatory term by any means, but it's just for the health of the sport and the growth of the sport, how can we just get more eyeballs on it? Um, which I think college football has at least found a nice medium of that. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. I, uh, again, I don't think anything's going to change in the next year or two, but if, if a couple conferences come together and put together another challenge or, you know, whatever we do, I, I agree that there's, it is a lackluster start to the season. Um, all right, let's talk about the blue devils versus the wildcats. Um, a, just an interesting game for a variety of reasons. One, uh, Arizona guards the absolute shit out of the ball. They are incredibly well coached when it comes to where they need to be um, off the ball, their rotations, their pressure on the ball. I mean, they they messed up. The scouting report um, that they put together was spot on. The it, it's Duke Twitter's all on Ryan Young right now. So um, <laughs> what felt it's it's crazy. I wrote this in in my recap. It felt like he played thirty minutes. He played twelve. Really, but every minute that he was on there, they were able to play fifteen feet off of him. The screenshots that Sam Vecini and like his videos that he was doing afterwards were so spot on. They were playing five on four like they could not they fundamentally could not run their offense with Ryan Young on the on the floor. And so all of Duke Twitter is screaming at Shire like it's not the time like this is not the time, no matter if he's a captain experience, all these things. And I agree. Right. Like they I agree. This was not the game for Ryan Young. The problem, the next biggest problem is that this was Mark Mitchell's first game since he missed Tennessee and he was he was really bad. So now you have Ryan Young, who you can't play. It's Mark Mitchell's first game of the season, and he looked horrendous. And they were sagging off of him, too. Tyrese Proctor was okay. He didn't play his best game. Was making the right plays. And anytime they kicked it to Mitchell, you know, he went 0 for 4 from 3. I think he was like 1 for 5 for the day. Um, he, he was, he was four. It's a, it was four of six from two oh for four from, yeah. Over 4 from 3. Yeah, he had a couple layups. One of two from the line. Yeah. 
he just a couple bad, bad turnovers. Wasn't great defensively. It's his first game. I get it. Yeah. Coming off an ankle totally. injury. Fine. Totally. But if those two players are non-existent for you and you're relying on, okay, like Jared McCain and Caleb Foster, right? Like this is the big time now. It's not Dartmouth. They took their licks. Like they didn't shoot it great. And I didn't think Shire made a lot of good adjustments. That's my big thing. Interesting. It, the adjustments weren't there. Because I've I've got basically three questions for you. Because I I was at Virginia, Florida. I've only watched the highlight. I've watched basically like an eighteen minute version of this game. I did not watch it top to bottom. Um, first off, because you brought that up, I guess two part question. I mean, they technically played ten guys. Really, only played seven. Um, Christian Reeves played three minutes. Sean Stewart three minutes. Jalen Blake's two minutes. A I guess part A this is a side talk. Is you mentioned everyone's all Ryan Young. You realize that Caleb Foster put up a 13 trillion. Yeah, he put up 13 minutes and not one stat, right? A foul. Yeah, did he he a did foul? have a foul. Okay, okay. So it's not an official trillion, yeah. but 13 minutes, zero points, zero shots taken, zero rebounds, zero says zero turnovers. I I didn't watch it. Did he did you feel any impact there? Like no, not and this and is not what's... to not bringing this up to try and crush Caleb Foster. I was just surprised no. that the fact that Shire basically played a, a seven-man rotation. Yep. And and really like and not that much even off the bench either. And that one of those guys had on at least on the stat sheet zero impact. So I'm curious from the eye test, like defensively, what what was the deal there? I it's actually uh, to me, it's that's where the Arizona guards really surprised, I think, Duke. Like Proctor struggled a bit with the pressure. Jeremy was fine. You know, he was typical Jeremy Roach, hit a massive three at the end that pretty much should have won the game. But back to Foster, yeah, he's like there's multiple clips of like I think it was not Xavier Johnson, but Johnson on Arizona. I can't remember his first name. Um, like beast man. Like, Johnson. Yeah. Yes. Like he, he was an absolute problem for yeah. Duke, no matter who he was on. And they switched him throughout the game where they would put him on flip. Anytime Duke went the double big lineup. So then they're putting their kind of like smaller ish. I mean, he's big, but like not, um, uh, not their typical big guy like Balo or the yeah. the other dude. I think it's Crevis. Yeah, um, off the bench. And Ballo, yeah. yeah, and like so that changed the whole dynamic too because then they were able to use Balo on Ryan Young and yep. just sit him in the paint. So there was a whole clip there. I'm gonna answer your Caleb Foster question. There was a whole clip there. The last second, the not the last second, the last possession for Duke when they're down one, where Flip is on the block. They set Ryan Young sets a screen and rolls directly into Flip. I mean, it's like. Guys, this kid, you can't, you have Sean Stewart right here that would have solved it, or just go four guards and put flip at the five, which everyone was excited about. I think that coming back to the issue was Mark Mitchell. Anyway, Caleb Foster, yeah. yeah, just nothing. Like there was no, he couldn't get a rhythm offensively. Duke could not get out and transition really at all. Um, yeah. And that's where he thrives. And I guess the, the lead in of that question and what I was trying to get at is seven guys, two guys played about 13 minutes. I don't know if I was surprised by that or seeing that like a, were you surprised there's really a seven man rotation and B do you think that will continue? And is it sustainable? Because I, that's the, that's where I worry a little bit is, is almost like you have so much talent is the depth there though. If he's only, if Shire's only confident really playing seven guys and you're like, are you going to be able to always get 39 minutes out of Roach, 37 minutes out of Proctor flip played 31, but coming off double hip surgery, like, is there an opportunity where he opens up the bench a little bit further? I think you have to. And again, it has to be, that's where these guys have to be. It has to be based on matchups. Yeah. It has to be. 
Like yeah. when when Arizona went big, I I understood the 12 minutes for Young. Like I understood there was two big guys out there. You needed an, I get it. But as soon as they adjusted, Duke didn't. And that's when you need to let Foster be out there for 20 minutes, right? Like yeah. you can't have him only do 13. Blake's literally, it felt like played like four possessions. Same with Christian Reeves. He was out there for like a cup of coffee. The frustrating part is Sean Stewart. So Sean Stewart comes out there, gets like two rebounds, draws a charge, has a block, gets a butt. Like he had the most productive three minutes and Shire even said it in his um, post game. He was like, yeah, like the, I we learned some things. Like we need to maybe reevaluate. So Look, classic Duke. I don't know if this is how Virginia fans on Twitter react in an early season loss, but there was like the world is ending type Duke fans, right? Like Virginia, and- we don't have the early season losses. We just have the tournament losses where everyone ever. Well, next- then that's fair. Yeah. It's fair to react the way yes. you do. But like yes. the earth, like you would have thought, oh, no. like, dude, this is errors. They didn't lose to the school of the deaf and the blind. Like Arizona is no. really good. And, and they played, they really didn't play well. And they yeah. they should have they were a one possession away. Yeah, like, and relax. And I know you brought up in terms of the play calling. I obviously I didn't watch it. My question, you know, I've seen and 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 just from watching that, eerily reminded me of not remind me of the Tennessee game, but I feel like where Duke has struggled is against teams that just really out tough them too. Yeah, like Tennessee, like there has never been at least recent memory to me never been a game more evident of a team that from the jump you're like we're gonna just come in here and bully you like Tennessee did that and it was nonstop, and it took me out of the element yes and Arizona I feel like had that same kind of like Arizona was not scared no a big tough experienced team obviously it's well coached I mean I don't know how much that you're gonna see in the ACC like you're not there's not like Florida and honestly, even look in the past, and Duke struggled against Florida State. Florida State's kind of been that like big athletic, Long, strong, physical team. Athletic, yep, no doubt. Virginia's not like Virginia's good defensively. They're not going to be. They're not going to out physical a lot of teams. And no, Carolina, play. I don't even think you're going to. So like, no, that would be my only my only long term concern, I guess, for Duke. Like, I don't, I'm, I didn't walk from watching this say, oh, I feel way less confident about Duke than I did. The only thing is that when you play these physical teams like in Arizona, like a Tennessee, like a I'm trying to even think of some others that would be up there. Um, but like, are, are they taken out of their element just by the physicality of it? Yeah. And I think that brings up a good point too, that like, how could you get, it's one thing in the tournament you're playing an sec, like, okay, fine. But like you're at home, it's the second game of the season. How are you getting out tough? That, that was the only concerning thing. Are you going to get outshot sometimes, even though that didn't happen? Sure. Our team's going to get hot. Are you going to play a better opponent? No doubt. But they for, for Duke to be returning four starters and come out and look like that, there was just no cohesion. So anyway, we'll get off of Duke. Um, big game against Michigan State on Tuesday. And we'll see. Obviously, Michigan State had a worse start to their year, which we're going to get to. But before that, I saw a little bit of Virginia. Obviously, you saw the entire thing. Give me the rundown, and then let's get to um, Corey Alexander. Yeah, I mean, yeah, okay. I was blanking on his name for a second. That's taking the headlines. I feel like at least in the Virginia world, and because it is, it's something I've never seen happen in a basketball game before. Which um, it's very hard to do, and you don't really hear that very often. But no, I mean, Virginia looked good. I, I, I think they. It was interesting on Monday against Tarleton. You saw. Glimpse of, okay, there's a lot of opportunity here. Florida 
you would think because I mean, Florida's got a pretty big team. And honestly, the kid, um, Handel Oten from, I think that's how you pronounce it. He's a transfer from Marshall. He's seven, one, two He's from Charlotte. I have no idea how he ended up at Marshall to begin with this kid, like could be a first round pick and he's super athletic. His dad played in the league and played overseas. Very good. Like he's clearly like their, in my opinion, like their best player, but they start seven, one Tyree Samuel, six, 10, Like, so you would think that Virginia to win would need to lean on their guards because the post, like if you look at Virginia's post players, you've got freshman Blake Buchanan and you've got um, Jake Groves is a grad transfer from Oklahoma. That's probably looks as even more uncoordinated than I do, but bro Buchanan shot 16 free throws. Can I, so you, you would think that Virginia like wouldn't not having like literally two guys brand new playing their second game for Virginia. You would think against quality post opponents that Virginia would really need to lean on McNeely and Beekman and Rhodey. And it was honestly the opposite. And I think that was probably the most refreshing thing is that, um, I mean, they, they all played good. Like Reese had 13 points and five assists, um, four steals, like right. And, McNeely had a couple really key buckets. He had two big threes. Rhodey started off well, but I think it it showed that they can win in a lot in different ways. Um, the fact, yeah. which is good because it's massive. They win they, their way. They basically only played seven guys. Leon Bond played four minutes. The one thing, and I don't. I'm assuming it's it's either injury related or he's not picking up the pack line. The one thing that is a bit surprising is that Jordan Miner, the Merrimack transfer that was NEC defensive player of the year last year has not really played at all for Virginia. Like he played, hmm. he was the last man off the bench against Tarleton. And I think he played, let's see how many minutes he played uh, 11 minutes and then didn't play at all against Florida. So that's, a, that was a little odd, uh, especially a guy in a grad transfer year, but um the one thing, at least for Virginia, they they got really good performances out of brand new guys. And it's very rare that Tony has a freshman post player play. Like, honestly, majority of them redshirt. Mommy Diakite redshirt. Jack Salt redshirt. Anthony Gill, obviously a little bit different because he transferred, but like sat out a year, like learned this. Like most of these guys are coming in. Caden Shedrick even before, like they didn't play as freshmen. The fact that Blake Buchanan not only came and played, he played 27 minutes. He had 18 points. He had seven Let rebounds. The team in scoring, yeah. And like he's here, very very impressive. And he was Idaho Player of the Year last year. Virginia, he was down to chose Virginia over Virginia and Gonzaga. And so like he, that is going to be so key. The the is kind Ida, of the Idaho, of, if you will. There you go. Wow. He uh, and and that's I mean Tony he finds these guys. We've talked like they don't really recruit in-state guys. Like it's you look at it. I mean McNeely's from West Virginia, Rhodey's from um, Wisconsin, Beekman's from like Wisconsin, Louisiana, Ryan Dunn's from Long Island. Like they don't have Virginia guys, uh, and then Buchanan's from Idaho. They've got guys coming in next year for like Washington and all these others. But um, Buchanan remind it was uh, if I could summarize it was like a hybrid of of Anthony Gill and Jack Salt. Whereas like you've got oh. more, you've got the physicality of Jack Salt. And I think he's going to bang. He's going to be tough and get rebounds, but then he's got like, he can, he has some back to the basket game. He had, he showed a little bit of short mid range jumper free throws. Like, I mean, they were sitting, they're beating him up. They're sitting him to the line. It wasn't obviously the greatest. I mean, he, he ended up with a 10 of 16 from the line, but um, 
I mean, they won basically just because they they turned Florida over a lot at the end and and Groves and Buchanan were able to provide like a huge, huge, huge spark just in the post that honestly, Virginia really has not had the post players as their leading scorers. And honestly, you could probably date that back probably even to like Anthony Gill. Like it's always been very much more guard oriented, even the national championship team these last few years. It's you rely on the point guard, you rely on your wings maybe, but like, I really can't remember the last time your two leading scorers were were post players. It's exciting that they're not redshirting. No, it is, and it's and they they have to. And it, it, honestly, it, he pro- if if Isaac Trout, who transferred to Creighton, what had not left, they probably would not have done that. Uh, I don't think they were. They obviously were not expecting him to leave after redshirting last year. Um, he wanted to go back home, and obviously, I think nil had something to do with that at Creighton as well, but. Um, so I think you, you're kind of getting thrown into the fire um, more than expected. I think a lot of fans, like I said, expected Jordan Minor to be playing, and um, but it's good. I mean, it's th- this is exactly why I like them playing. Like you're playing in an NBA arena against a NCAA tournament caliber team um, against a good like a good coach. That honestly, would he? Um, wait, 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 wait. Are you advocating for the Coach K strategy? What are you talking about? No, play, play in an NBA arena, neutral court, play. My no. <laughs> what I'm saying is, Coach K you have special. a brand. No, no, no. Yeah, but the <laughs> difference is Virginia's also. If you look at Virginia's schedule, they're also going to go on the road, play at Memphis. They're okay. and play like last year. They played like at Houston. Like they played at Gonzaga. They. they so you're advocating I, for I, both. You got to do. I'm both. just saying the, it was good of the fact that not this. Don't get me wrong. It, I, I like the fact they're playing good competition. I don't care where it happens, if it's home. Where it, the fact, though, that this team outside of Beekman and then McNeely last year and Dunn, like, is pretty new, and they're finding their footing. You have a lot of new faces. Even, like, Rody, who's in the starting lineup, played at St. Thomas last year. So you put them in an environment, like, literally week one, um, five days in the season against a tournament-caliber uh, tournament team, and I was in Todd Golden. Todd Golden beat Virginia a couple of years ago when he was at San Francisco. Like, and and Virginia's had that Florida's fully had Virginia's number recently. They've beaten them twice in the tournament in the Tony Bennett era. Tony's never beaten Florida. So to get that win, especially when you have an alum and the color commentating announcer. Yeah, let's get to trying it. to let's get to ruin it. the game in in a way. You gotta explain um, the situation really quick and then get like shot. Yeah, high level point. For those that haven't seen it, I do. I do find, recommend looking at Twitter because it, it truly is. It, it's truly one of the most. Um, also, we're going to get to Corey. Al- we're going to get to Corey Alexander's Twitter. He put out a. Uh, oh, little live? shots, little shots fired, but like through Jesus. Real weird. Just now. Is this live? Because right before we, we got on, I I looked up and he had not his, tweeted. Anything. His Twitter is Corey Alexander VA, right? Yeah, that's him. That's correct. Yeah. So well, four we'll hours. Up. Four hours oh, ago. Frozen. Okay. He All tweeted. Right. So he, okay. He yeah, said, I mean, <laughs> let me our daily bread. It was a Bible verse that indeed all who delight in pursuing righteousness and are determined to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be hunted and persecuted. Because, okay. Yeah. We're, Come not, on. we're not going down this route. We're going to explain what happened Inspired. and get my take on it because this is just absurd. It's one of the most absurd <laughs> things I've ever seen in college basketball. So Corey Alexander, for those that know, great one. All-time great Virginia players played in the early 90s um, from Waynesboro, like right down the road. And it's been an announcer on the ACC network for the past few years. Personally, I am not a Corey Alexander announcing fan. Corey Alexander was one of my favorite. 
I mean, I don't, I was 90, I think 91 to 95 or 92, 95 when he was there. But I have stories of my family. When I was a little kid, I was like two years old. I was learning how to talk. All I, I apparently would run around the house. And I would say, Coley Alexander, Coley Alexander. <laughs> like that was my dude. And, and it's not like, I just personally, I am not a huge fan of the way he calls games. I don't like just how necessarily interjecting, I think a lot of himself. I like when you're more passive um, and you don't have to make the broadcast about himself. And I don't mean that as a shot, but basically what happened there's Virginia's up two with less than a minute left. Blake Buchanan tips the ball off of the Florida defender as it's called on the floor. And they give the ball to Virginia immediately. They go over and review the play. I'm sitting there in the game. I have no idea what's happening. And so I'm getting this in real time. I'm okay. They go and review it at the table. Horn rings. They announced Virginia basketball. Literally the ball is in the ref's hands about to pass to hand it to a Virginia player to put the ball into play. They blow the whistle. They stop it again. And they come over to the ESPN announce table on the other side. Corey Alexander decides, and it, it is his job to tell the referees, Hey, you guys, Hey, it, you didn't make the right call. We've got better angles. It went off of Virginia. So I've never seen this before. After the call has been made, which it is legal. They can take the ESPN angles. The refs go over. Corey Alexander personally takes his monitor, turns it around for the referees to look at it. They reverse the call, gives it, gives the ball to Florida, and Tony Bennett is as fuming as yeah, I've I, ever seen him. Yeah, ever seen him. I don't remember. And I've watched too many in the last thirteen years. That. I'd say probably 90 percent of Virginia games the last thirteen years. I've never seen Tony that upset yelling across the, at the floor at Corey. And at the time, like, I really didn't, I didn't know because I couldn't hear what Corey was saying on the broadcast. I didn't know. I just figured, okay, there's something happened there. And then I found out, I, I go back, I've listened to it now probably four times. I listened to it on the drive back from Charlotte, the whole sequence. And there's, it's one thing if, if they're asking you, even if they're asking you say, Hey, they, he claims that they asked and he said, Corey, did we get it right? And he said, no, you didn't. And okay, great. That's not just your, a wild thing for the refs to ask. It, it is a wild thing. And so a lot of the, I want to say the Corey Alexander apologists and the Virginia fan base are saying, oh, it's, it's not on him. The refs asked him and he didn't tell a lie. I wouldn't great. say a damn. That's not his place. I actually, I personally, I don't think that that's exact. And if you listen to the entire context and you watch the clip, he's pointing the, as they're about to inbound the ball, he's pointing this way. Like you guys got it wrong. Like, I don't think that the refs truly are like, hey, before we start, like, let's check with Corey Alexander and make sure this was the right call. No. If he is not, he if they're not overhearing something. him, if they're not overhearing him and he's not pointing, they're not coming to the table and checking that angle because they checked the replay and said, you know what? Call, we're call is confirmed or correct, whatever, inconclusive. We're going to go this way. It's they, they were, they were happy with that if they couldn't get that angle, they would have just gone to the ESPN table. And then my last point, my last issue with it is then he goes, oh, and now he kind of tries to make a joke. Oh, no, TB's mad at me, yelling at me, like, we'll be okay. He's like, yeah. He goes, at the end of the day, he goes, I'm just doing my job. It is not your – I didn't know. You're not a referee. You're not the fourth ref. You're not – and it's – I'm not saying that anything nefarious was happening. I just think no. it, it it is – blows my mind when you feel like the need as a commentator to interject yourself in the game – and that's what Tony said after they asked him, they said, do you, he said, no comment. 
but then said, yes, we will take care of it internally. I thought the call was made and was confirmed going that way. And we'll figure it out. AKA that will be handled with the Virginia alum, uh, Corey Alexander. And at the end of the day, the, the smoking gun to me of like why I think it's so wrong. It's, it blows my mind is the whole time when he's saying that's Virginia or that's off Virginia it's he's Corey Alexander is looking if it tipped off the Florida player's finger or Virginia's finger, not looking at all. If it went off the knee or went off the foot, not once does he reference a foot or a knee or anything until they actually are at the table looking. So when he's saying, Hey, that's the wrong call. That's the wrong call. He wasn't even looking at what the refs were looking at. And the only thing, the thing that was up for debate was if it hit his knee or not. And I don't, and being completely objective, I do not think there was a, um, I don't think there was enough. It was conclusive enough to say either way. I'm fine with giving the ball to Florida, but the fact of like you as a, the fact that you're interjecting yourself as a commentator and you're not even looking at all pieces that the refs are trained to do. The refs are trained. Did it tip here? Did it hit off this? Like they're looking at multiple places. He's like, oh, it didn't go off his finger. That's they made the wrong call. And then they get over there. And he's like, oh, they actually might be looking if it went off his foot and then doubled down. <laughs> The most wild start, and thank goodness Virginia won. They turned, they've turned Florida over twice in their last two possessions um, in the last minute. Thank to God they win. won. Thank good. I mean, and um, and shout to StubHub. Got to sit feet on the wood. Literally rolled into the parking lot at six thirty, about thirty minutes before the game. Got to courtside seat in the Spectrum Center. Um, got to watch the master Tony Bennett at work right from the sideline. And pretty good. Um, that it, it, it was. It was a fun time. And it was. It was. Um, it, it was a, it, the one thing I will point out. I don't even think I texted you this. For everyone that says like, no, nah, there was a bad spot. There was three games there that it was Liberty and Charlotte was the first game at four thirty. Virginia and Florida was at seven, and Virginia Tech and South Carolina was at nine thirty. Shout out to my guy D Mac, got the dub, beat the Hokies. But you have six teams there and local too. Like Virginia Tech's not far, South Carolina's not far. You have a ton of Virginia alums. Charlotte is literally in Charlotte. Ton of Liberty alums. They had the entire upper upper bowl completely tarped off. So no seats in the upper level. And the lower level, lower bowl was not full. I would like to point out the night before, they had one, they had one game. It was a women's basketball game. It was Iowa and Virginia Tech women's oh, basketball. They definitely game. sold that thing out. 15,000. Hell yeah. All the arenas have said Clark. louder than any Hornets. So it's truly pretty incredible. And you talk about like went where women's college basketball is and Caitlin Clark just there. So I think she dropped, hit a 40 ball. The fact that a Jeez. night before on a Thursday night. Yeah. She's so much Iowa fun to watch the country. You have 15,000, a raucous environment. And then the next night on a Friday night, the first week of men's college basketball, you have six teams that are all like somewhat local and good teams and good matchups. And you couldn't even fill the lower bowl. It was What's very, you- very eye opening. What do you think about Wilbon's comments? Did you see he got a bunch I did not of see. I saw that he was getting some heat uh, or there was some stuff, but I did not listen to the clip. He said, basically, hey, men's basketball, I don't know any of the players. There's no stars, but women's basketball, I know. Caitlin Clark and uh, Angel uh, Reese, Reese. and uh, Yeah, Reese on LSU. And Haley Van Lith. And, Haley, and, yeah, yeah, he's Cameron like, Brink. I mean, he's, yeah, there are like, stars all these in women's players. basketball. Yeah. yeah, he's like, I know all them. I'm paying attention. I'm locked in. And he got so much hate. It was, it was really from... 
the college bet he didn't get hate from anyone uh, like like you're using the term casual he didn't get hate from casuals he got hate from like diehard college men's college basketball fans who are like look at all these good players how do you not know them but yeah i actually don't think his message is that crazy i mean and your point mm-hmm. of like look like look what's happening in real time also it's funny you say that if you go to google right now and you type in louisville basketball just that <laughs> it auto defaults to women's that's really that's brilliant. So is that is that well, progress for women or is that how bad men's basketball dude, is? I, at Louisville? My thing is like, holy it, shit, dude. The other part, I think the other factor that plays into it in a way, and we've talked about this a lot on the pod in two separate in- instances, is that the stars that we have had in recent memory, the the mega stars, ESPN has gone so overboard with remember the yeah. Trey young counter that we would have like yeah. Trey young would be playing on ESPN and yes. there'd be a game on ESPN two of like a big East game. And it would have like his stat line going above the score. Same yeah. with Zion. And it was that, and like you have the, it was Trey young and Zion. Yeah. There's not a, there's not either of those right now. There's not a Jimmer for debt, but be, yeah. I think almost because when you get these mega stars, they're just pushed so heavily. It almost diminishes the fact that like there are like, and like Zach Eady is going to go down as and there, there's a very strong chance he could be a back-to-back national player of the year. The first time we've had that since Ralph Sampson, like that should be a headline. Now is Zach Eady the most like interesting is pretty much like, and yeah, they lost to a 16 seed. They're not going to shove Zach Eady down viewers throats. Like they did Zion or Trey young. Cause it's not as sexy. It's not as cool. It's not as fun, but like you, you can't tell me if you look at the top teams and you look at Zach Eady at Purdue, and guys that have been around, you look at um, Klingin, I mean, Klingin's like back, Hunter Dickinson Walker, at Kansas. Michigan State. Like I know he's at a yeah. new school, but Hunter Dickinson is a known name. You Baycott. look at Caleb Love at Arizona, Baycott. Baycott like Filipowski, like those are those are college stars. Like there's not, and you can make the, I think like there's not a Zion. There's not a, it's I not JJ it. versus Adam Morrison, but in those years, there were still other great players in college basketball outside of JJ and Adam Morrison. Yeah. And so I I think that the answer, the truth lies somewhere in between. Yeah. Like there are just, there are mega stars in women's college basketball right now. Yeah. And you look like Cameron Brink at Stanford won a championship as a freshman. She's still, she's back for her fourth year. Like Angel yeah. Reese has won a national championship. Everyone obviously knows Caitlin Clark. Paige Beckers is like, yeah, she's back from injury. One. And yeah. it's like the most like hyped high school out of high school. And, and, and Ozzy Futt, like, they have those and that's just, the, yeah. it's just, the, and, but there's also reasons they've won too. And, yeah. and, and that's, uh, I, I think if Purdue, maybe if Purdue, yeah, if Purdue wins, the, does Edie, first of all, does Edie come back? Who knows? But does Edie get elevated to yeah. a different type of coverage? Yeah. No, maybe. I, I think so. Yeah. You never know. Like, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a bad spot because of it though. Like, I don't think college basketball, like by not uh-huh. having the Zion or Trey young is that much is worse off. No, in terms of drama. it's always been, we've always said it's not a the, it, college basketball is a niche sport. It is. This is not yeah. like as much as we think it is. Cause we're in it all the time. Like yeah. it's not the NBA. It's not even close. It's not no. even remotely close. I will uh, say I uh, am not to put anyone on blast. I was at a wedding two weeks ago where a former college basketball manager. This is not like pays attention. Still college, not like you and I do uh, pays attention. <laughs> for us casually was unaware that Jay Wright had retired. That's and so, and like cash, but, but if someone cash. that worked and not, I'm not, and that's not, it's just, yeah. Like if I'm, there's plenty of people, I, I, another, fr- like, no, granted, this is a former college soccer player that doesn't 
care about the college basketball until the NCAA tournament last year, midseason. Somehow, now this is probably the wildest, didn't realize that Coach K had retired, which after the whole retirement tour, shout out James Jordan. But they, like, yeah, you're, doing you're right. Bubble. It is. You, we're in our bubble because I, I love it. I'm just gonna, I'm watching JMU Kent State and I'm watching Texas A&M Commerce and Kentucky, like, yep. late night on ESPN Plus. Yeah. It, everyone's not doing that. So, no. Um, all right. Let's briefly touch on Louisville. So they barely escape UMBC. Probably should have lost. Then uh, they lose to Chattanooga on Friday night by 10. They shoot 33% from three, 38% from the field, 15 turnovers. I I mean, how are we not firing him? Are we letting it ride for the season? What does it even do if you do fire him? Like, where I are we at bad. with Louisville? I, I feel bad because, like, I – I'm also happy Duke has them twice heard, this year. Does Virginia have them twice? Uh, let's. I'm looking at their schedule. They, <laughs> I was just um, looking at Dukes, and I was no, like, I "Please think, tell uh, me." They yeah, have Virginia. Yeah, they play them January 3rd at home, and they also get them January 27th at Louisville. I mean, there's uh, a there's a there's a chance they they they, got, they have one win that, in the that week. The, that week they play. Well, that's tough. Or I mean, this is I guess this is the point of deembarkation. If Kenny Payne is going to be fired, which I don't like, I think Kenny Payne's a good dude. I love Nolan. I love the set. Like I love, I, I want the program to be good. Um, they have to play in the same week on Tuesday, January 23rd, they play Duke at home. And then that Saturday they play, um, they play Virginia at home in the same week. Good luck. Does, well, I guess if it happens, yeah. Does Kenny, Payne, does he make it there? Like by, by that stretch, do you like, is your opinion? Do you think he's still, he's still coaching? I just don't see – I've never re- – you know, unless there's, like, uh, negligence or abuse or, like, something horrendous happening, I don't really see the value in in-season firings. Just wait. Yeah. You're not going to get anyone. No one's around. No one's available. I mean, they did it with Chris Mack, and, like, you end, like you're going to go to Kenny Payne whether you fired Chris Mack mid-season you or You might as well – as bad as it is, you might as well ride it out. Um, so I, I think, you know – probably unfortunately for all sides at this point, like he he'll go another year. Um, But man, oh man. I mean, if he, if he imagine if he only gets like five wins in non-conference, like they may not get to 10. The thing, and people are crying, like Chattanooga is not a bad team. Like Chattanooga is 173rd in Ken Palm. They've got had a good program. They get the best bounce back team. They could possibly ask for. They play cop and state on Wednesday. Right. Who is 360th in Ken Palm out of 362 teams? So you gotta get that. That is that's your bounce back spot. Now they have to. They've got Texas. They get New Mexico State, which has been kind of a train wreck with everything going on that program. Bellarmine, and then you got to go at Virginia Tech and at DePaul. I mean, the fact that like you you're playing DePaul in a non-conference, and as much as everyone crushes DePaul. You're not even protecting that. That's where it's tough. And like Louisville should never be in that program. I, it, who, no matter who, and this is, I don't even know if this is even fully all on Kenny Payne. Like, this is once again, it's not, it's year two. Like, it, no matter who comes in, there's going to be so much work, so much work just to get this in the right place. Right. And, and there would, there was so much work for Kenny Payne. Like, yeah. there, it really was reconstructing a roster, like rebuilding. It's like, the guys like I I thought that they like I thought people were being hard on Louisville and I thought they had more talent like 
They have Brandon Huntley, Brandon Huntley Hatfield transfer from Tennessee. He was a good player at Tennessee. Sky Clark transferred from Illinois. He was a good player at Illinois. He's a high-ranked recruit. Like they've got guys like that. I thought people okay, they lost their exhibition. Um, Trey White was at USC. Like I thought that people were being hard on okay, they had a real bad slip up. I didn't I thought they were actually gonna get off to a better start. And it would kind of blow over. And I thought they'd win like five of their first six. I thought they'd beat UMBC, Chattanooga, Coppin State, lose to Texas, but then like win all their home non-conference games and be fine. The fact you get drubbed at home by Chattanooga, it makes it tough. And so I don't know. I'm rooting for <laughs> it. It's like it sucks. Like I, I it's, I'm not like reveling this Brutal. by any means because like I, I. I think they're all, I think it's a good staff and I like the people and I like like the pro I think college basketball is better when Louisville is good. For it sure. adds a really good element to it, especially with the UK U of L rivalry and adds another power program, the top echelon of the ACC. Yeah. They um, need the ACC is so uh, probably annoyed. It's like, but on. they, if you look, I mean, their metrics, they shoot the three poorly. They give up threes at a worse clip than anybody. Um, they're allowing for their opponents in the two games are shot 45 and a half percent from three. The national average is 32.3%. So, yeah. Oh. Um, all right. Let's transition to the first shock of the year. The, your, your James Madison Dukes, uh, the fighting John Kremens, who got some nice FaceTime or back hey, time, actually. <laughs> John, John Kremens, John Kremens, I think privately needs to put a, uh, for sale sign in his yard because I don't see any way that this JMU staff stays next year because they are red hot. Yeah. And that is going to Mark Byington. The job that Mark Byington has done cannot applaud him enough. The fact that JMU once has like one win in the school's history against a ranked team. And it was against Jason kid and Cal in the early nineties, just went into Michigan state and beat Tom Izzo in East Lansing is absolutely wild wild man and and yeah i mean i watched uh i didn't get to see the entire game i saw kind of the end of the first half and then the end of the game um i mean michigan state going one for 20 from three is kind of the entire it's kind of all you need to really share um yeah. and, everything well, else wasn't can we also that- say though they fought i don't know if you realize this they they beat southern indiana on thursday night they went one and 11 against southern indiana See, it's a good sign for so Duke. They, so for they, Duke. which the craziest thing about this for me, at least, is they were fourth in the country in three point shooting last year as a team. They really only lost one person, is Joey Hauser. Joey Hauser is not turning them from the one of the top of top five three point shooting team to historically one of the worst three point shooting teams ever. So you're telling me they're two. So they were one for twenty, and then one for eleven. So they're two for uh, thirty one right now. Correct. Yep. Two for, yeah, they were one for 20, one for 11. Yep. They're two for 31 in their first two games from three is a team that last year, if you look at, they were fourth in the country in three point, uh, Kim Palm hasn't even at third. They shot 39.3% as a team from three last year. That's why I put Kansas or I put Michigan state in the final four last year because I was like, this is a team that can just get hot from three and hit them from everywhere. That's clearly not the case. They have great guards. But there's got to be something like they've got there. And, and and this thing, Jamie, once again, Jamie's not cop and state. Like it's not a walkover game. Jamie's projected to win the Sun Belt. Jamie then walked into Kent State and had an incredible win there, too. They're a veteran, really good team. But you, if you're a top five 
final four potential national champion pick, you can't go two for 31 in your first two games from three, even when you have the talent that Michigan State does. Like Tyson Walker is one of the best players in the country, but A.J. Hogard has to be better. Jay Nakins has to be better. Like Cohen Carr, I like. I don't know if you've watched him, but like he is very exciting. Like super athletic, super tough, like almost like kind of like Trevor Keels vibes, but I think better than Trevor Keels. And, but then they, it also seems weird. Like, do they want to go big? They play Sissoko or they go small and take Sissoko out and play Cohen Carr. And you just don't expect that from a team that brings basically everyone back. Like I get it if they lost a lot and they were reshuffling the deck and they're figuring things out. That was the most surprising thing to me is because they had all these guys back. Yeah, um, that definitely was the early shock. That game against Duke is going to be really good. I mean, the Champions Classic is always essentially the same rotation of like six schools. Um, Who would you say, do you think that there's, once again, we're in week two of the season, so at the end of the season, I don't, but. No, I don't have an answer. Does it matter more? Who do you think this winning, like, who needs to win this game more? If that Probably probably Michigan State, because Duke has a, a quad one, a top 10 loss. Uh, yes. Michigan State has a quad who knows where JMU ends up two or three loss early at home which is insane um, I think it yeah I, I mean it's important for both right they're both going to drop in the rankings um, you know Michigan State probably out of the top 10 Duke probably closer to 10 than two um, so it's big I mean and it also is going to be big here you know some somebody on Twitter made the good point of I can't remember who Duke in the non-conference lost to last year but it was essentially their argument was like, that's the difference of the seeding. Like if they win that game, they don't play yeah. Tennessee and maybe they, they, they sneak to the sweet 16, who knows? Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's huge for Arizona. I, I think this one's just, it's going to be a resume booster. Obviously both teams will be fine. Cause it doesn't hurt you when you lose to teams like this, good teams, but I think it probably means a little bit more to Michigan state right now. What do you think? I, I think so. The only I, I agree with you that they they need that, but you can also almost play devil's advocate if you reverse it. If like if then Duke follows it up with a loss to a Michigan State team that just went two of thirty one. Yeah, like, that would be. It's, tough. I, it's I think it's it's more fire alarms are going off if Duke loses than if Michigan and it's State two in a row. And then if if Michigan State did, whereas yeah. like Michigan State, it's like no, like they need some positivity here. Yeah. After what's been a rough first week of the season. Um, yep. No doubt. But I, what I did want to speak on of JMU, follow that up. They went in to Kent State on Thursday. So they played Michigan State Monday night. Thursday night, they played at Kent State, who has won. I mean, you know as well as I do, it's a, such a tough building to play in. They'd won 23 straight home games at Kent. JMU was down five with, I believe, 2.3 seconds left, whatever it was. Hits a three, gets an offensive foul call in Kent State, backdoor cut, yeah. clear layup, overtime. Then Kent Ending State was the same wild. thing. Kent State was down five with, I think, 12 seconds left, did the exact same thing. JMU comes away with a win in double overtime, 113 to 108. It was one of the most exciting games I've watched in recent memory. Um, JMU, now they get Howard at home this afternoon, uh, record this on Sunday. They they like that was those are their toughest two non-conference games. Yeah, um, they've got Howard, Radford, Southern Illinois, Buffalo, ODU, and they get into Sun, Sun in the Sun Belt. They're good teams in the Sun Belt. Like the one thing that by no means I ever make the argument like oh they're gonna run the table, but 
the only thing I will say that kind of sucks is that JMU, just because of the way that college basketball is set up, JMU could, they've got what, 30, they've got 29 games on their schedule. Like, what would they have to go to get in at large bid? Oh, it's got to be less than four. Yeah. I mean, they can't lose. That's the thing. It's like, it's, yeah, no matter how many good wins you have like this. But I did want to point out can't, yeah, can't lose more than four. What the Sun Belt and the Mac have done, in my opinion, what the Sun Belt and the Mac have done is one of the best things for college basketball. I think it's going unnoticed that I wish other conferences would replicate. Um, And essentially, what they did, they created the Sun Belt Mac Challenge where all of the Sun Belt teams this past week go play at a Mac school. That's predetermined the off seasons. So James Madison played at Kent State. Ohio hosted, um, who did Ohio host this past week? They hosted um, Troy. Troy. Southern Miss played at Akron. So those are all predetermined. And all the Sun Belt teams are going to the Mac teams. In February, they have a held date where all of the Mac teams will then go to Sun Belt teams. But the great part about that is that those have not been predetermined and they will match those up in season based on net rankings. So it gives yeah. a James Madison another chance. Like, let's say Akron. Akron's probably going to be a top 100 team all season. You're going to get Akron versus James Madison, two top 100 teams playing each other in there. You're going to get a Kent State and a um, like and a Southern Miss or a Troy, like these good, these good teams to help re- boost resumes. But picture, can you imagine like if they did say Big 12 in the ACC? How awesome would that be if, okay, predetermined, we're going to get, let's say you get um, Texas and Duke first week or second week because of this. But then when we get to February, oh, we got Kansas Duke looming because those are the top two teams. Like I, I wish I, I do think a lot of this and, and it takes the buying of the coaches. It takes the buying of administrators. I think the logistics are decent enough in this scenario where it's like the bracket busters, where as long as you give enough time to like plan that out and the dates are being held and you know, it's just, it's from this pool of people. It helps the conference and it helps us get those and you get fresh matchups. I love the AC Big Ten Challenge, but it's it's just it's predetermined and it's not it, you're not always getting the best matchups. This almost guarantees that you're getting yeah you're getting a Kansas or a Houston and Virginia. You're getting a um, you're getting really good team. You're getting really the top like these top teams playing each other, and 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 really I don't know what there how much there is to lose. That's that's I guess my thing. I don't know if you, why you necessarily. A, t- a coach would be against it because it i think it helps the sport it helps boost resumes it helps well, keep things fresh yeah i agree with you there's a lot going on i mean the there i believe we have all but confirmed the gavit games are going away in two years the gavit tip-off um yeah. due to what the big 12 and the big east coming together probably yeah, yeah. something uh, so you know that might go away so there's there's opportunity for it. Yeah. And I, I and they I, do these chat like Big 12 SEC have done it. And we've gotten Kansas, Kentucky. It's pretty I just love the format of uh, yeah, the format's okay, nice. It's a it's a home and home in the same season. And then the second one is just hey, it's it's not predetermined. It's up to where you are in the standings. And then next year will be reversed. Like in once February comes around, the Mac teams will get to host and the Sunbelt will have the predetermined matchups. And so love because it's it's creates good matchups and I love it I, I would love for other conferences to 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 replicate that all right let's quickly touch on two big East teams I got a stat for you 
that we didn't talk about beforehand. DePaul's attendance oh, no. for their home opener was 931. Oh, I did see that. So some <laughs> reading a tweet. If that is correct, the Big E's office needs to have a conversation about the long-term benefit of having them in the league. I mean, should we have should we have relegation in, in college basketball? Like DePaul, I mean, they look, they've been bad our whole I mean, I think my whole life. I mean, yeah. maybe they were good in the 90s and I wasn't I mean, I was 10. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm looking. But for all intents and purposes, they have been truly the worst team in the Big East for the last 20 years. I mean, honestly, probably the last like thirty. Dave Lado, like I'm looking like the best. They've been before. they've been bad. Dave for a Lado long time. before he got. Okay, here you go. It's probably was this. It was two thousand and right before Dave Lado got the Virginia job in two thousand four. DePaul made it to the tournament as a seven seed. They beat Dayton in the first round, lost to UConn. Ironically, right. Lado coming from UConn and a Calhoun guy. They lost in the second round. They finished fifty fifth in Ken Palm. The next year they went. They won twenty games. I think they went to NIT. Like. And then Lato left. They brought in Jerry Wainwright. I don't think maybe they they made the NIT there. It's a it, it's one of those where you say, oh, it's such a tough job. I, mean, I, I don't. It should it be that tough a job? You're in Chicago, like you're in the Big East. Like you they got just a have brand no, new, like, a brand new arena. They got no cachet. They got no brand. They got they no went 15 feel. and 16 two years ago with Tony Stubblefield, and so that was his first year. So it's like okay. Great. Like, and they had some good wins down the stretch in the big East. They started out like nine and one on the season um, with their only loss to Loyola Chicago. Like it's like, okay, times are up. And then last year they went 10 and 23. They lost um, 12 games to end the straight games to end the regular season. Um, and then now they've lost to Purdue Fort Wayne and long beach state both at home in that brand new arena. It's, it's tough. Like, uh, I, I don't, yeah. I don't know. And because it's the thing is too, unless you're just gonna pull out the um the Jimbo Fisher wheelbarrow and just yo. dump a bunch of money to somebody, like what's the well, yeah. what's the catch to get the guy? Like how how do you get the right guy? Like Louisville can get like yeah, yeah you can drum up enough support, but like is there a DePaul booster somewhere that's that is gonna say, so. you know what, like let's let's cut the check and get someone that otherwise would not come here. Um, maybe hey, I he's, I don't know. He's not a Midwest guy. Maybe Mark Byington's the guy for the job. <laughs> Mark <laughs> Byington. If Mark Byington can resurrect James Madison hoops, and and I'll say, people don't give realize him, how bad James the- hoops was my entire life. Like one tournament appearance that I can remember in my entire life, and he's got them cooking now. It's better they've ever been. They, I don't know. He's gonna get a job. I don't think DePaul's the right job, but um, he'll get a job. All right, staying in the Big East, momentum comes to a grinding halt for Big Daddy Cool. Just a tough. Uh, what is Rothstein's tweet? The epitome of brutality, losing to a oh uh, yes, a, a, the bye game. Yeah. I mean, Holy Cross comes holy back, cross. sneaks holy in a cross dub. Up. I mean, just brutal. Um, the, the tough one for me was I saw the score and then I was going through my timeline and I saw the video of Cooley throwing out T-shirts before the games. The student yeah, section, dude, and the student section was packed. Yes. Packed. That's like, the tough part. It's like he's got them like I know. he's doing everything to just get got the like, excitement. Right, we need you. We need you. Yep. It's tough when it falls flat like that. Um, I know. I know. And now it doesn't get any easier. They got to go play Rutgers uh, yeah. on Wednesday. 
Um, they don't have that. I mean, they have Mount St. Mary's, American, Jackson State, Merrimack. Oh, no, they, they, they scheduled a first-year rebuild. They did. They sure. did, but they when they scheduled Holy Cross, I think they crossed. I think they had that as a win as well. So just brutal for Cooley, but also to be expected. Year this one, is, yeah. it is what it is. It is what it as is. As long all I think in year and maybe I don't want to say it's a blanket statement for all coaches like year one, but in this type it, of situation, as long as you can get a, like you've improved on the year before, there's a couple like moments where you can spark hope. Like maybe they um let's see who they've got like like they've got Xavier at home on like their third to last game of, of the season. And like if they're a tournament team and you get in like it's a Saturday, you get all the students there and you you beat a tournament team, they rush the court. Like that's a positive piece of momentum. In my opinion, the only game that really matters on Georgetown's schedule this year is Saturday, January 27th in Providence. It's going to be so good. And obviously that matters to Providence, I think, more than it does to Georgetown. But that is when every eye in America will be. And I think it's actually and I don't know if the biggies did this on purpose. I'm pretty sure that's in the, the week. It's the week in between the AFC NFC championship and the Super Bowl. Oh, so there's no football. People are going to be locked in. It's, it's the most be like in- Chris Beard back to Lubbock, but yeah. even I think even crazier if that's possible. It's it's the most important non-important game of the year. It truly means nothing, and but it means everything. <laughs> the same and then, time. well, that's the interesting thing though is they then they play Georgetown at Georgetown the second to last game of the season. And like Providence right now, Providence is 58th in Kempom. They're two and zero. I know. I was going to say projected bring... like bubble or not bubbling. Like they're, I'm not definitively saying they're in. I'm not definitively saying they're out. Like there is a very good chance that like their last stretch, they go like at they go at Xavier at Marquette, home against Villanova at Georgetown, and home against UConn. Like they're going to need to win that game at Georgetown. Just yeah. as much as they're going to need to obviously win the game at home, especially with that stretch, to be able because you can't right now if you would pencil in like you're probably going to lose four of those games or at least three of those. So yeah, it will it will matter in some to at least to Providence. Um, but yeah, tougher tougher Cooley is just hopefully hopefully the the students still just keep keep. Uh, keep the course i guess yeah um all right last two big east teams and then we'll wrap up um stay on providence hopkins bryce hopkins devin carter picked up right where they left off from last year two good games to start the season two and oh the dunk was rocking kim english is leaning leaning into all the quotes he's like i've never after after game one he said i've never been a part of an opening night uh like that before I'm still calling it the dunk. You're never going to get me to call it anything else. I don't know what it's called, like Amica Pavilion or something. It's the dunk. It's the same as like Heinz Field in Pittsburgh. It's yeah. Not, the yeah. People are not going to change sure. it. No, it's not. No, it's, it's, it's Heinz Field and it's the dunk. And um, yeah, man. Look, I mean, look at good for Kim English, right? Dude, like, they're, they're, and not the that they should have lost any with, of like, these games, they, they were lucky to hold over a couple guys. Like, honestly, it reminds me a little bit when Gross took over Illinois. Like, he had Brandon Paul there and they had some yeah. guys like where it was okay. Like, yeah, like, the really quality guys stayed. And then he brought like Joshua Dewar, I think is one of the most underrated players in the country. Joshua Dewar yeah, is yeah. a really, really good post player. I think very good. The other night he had 13 and 12. Yeah. 13 and 12. Um, And like he was doing it at Mason and not, it's not that they were doing like the CAA, like the a 10 is a good league and he was a really good player and they were in there. And I think you bring those guys in and obviously Bryce Hopkins is, 
probably Beast. the best players in the country. I think probably the most underrated players in the country too. Yeah, Devin absolute Carter. beast. Like, we've I, got good guys. I, 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 I'm. I think both of us. We didn't talk about it in the last episode as much. Both of us are high on Providence. Yeah, um, and I think that why they not? Can, no, it's it's it, they do have a pretty grueling schedule down the stretch. I was so just going to make their resume, but even before yeah. that, dude. So they all right, yeah, they have Columbia and Milwaukee to go two and zero, but then they go Wisconsin, then right to Kansas State. That's two very interesting um schedules. Then Lehigh Wagner, but then you got Rhode Island, which is the rivalry game, and then you got Oklahoma. Like, that's not a yeah. that's that's a no joke schedule for them. And um, Goodman and Dowster brought this up a bunch recently, and I fully agree. Of uh, and especially most they've pointed to the ACC, but if your conference as a whole, it matters so much how well your conference does in the non-conference. Yeah. So that when you get to conference play, those like, wins those, matter. The, the wins matter, and the losses aren't that bad. Like you look at last year, I mean, everyone's talking about West Virginia last year because they did not start out well. Like they weren't, and everyone's like. And, and honestly, the metrics, I mean, you looked at, they started the season 10 and seven and they honestly, they finished the regulars 18 and 13, like they didn't, but 18 and 13 and seven, 11 in the big 12 was still good enough to get them a nine seed because they went 10 and two in the non-conference um, and the rest of the con, but then they were able to build in conference wins. They won, they beat TCU. They won at Texas tech. They beat Iowa state. They beat like, so if your conference can do well and they can have these high net and Ken Palm rankings, like I do think the big East will, then it gives you those opportunities where the losses aren't as bad and the wins just are pretty significant because you're not having a deal. You're not playing. Well, we just talked about how much DePaul's thinks, but like, that's one of the things like the Louisville's and the Georgia techs have pulled the ACC down a lot too, in the last yeah. couple of years. And BC. you have that with, you have that in BC, you have that with DePaul. But the rest of the Big East, like the rest of the bottom, Big East, like, is solid. Like Georgetown and DePaul are the only teams outside the top 100. Like even Butler's 74th right now. Everyone else, we talked about this of like top to bottom, how many bids can get, how many teams can get bids. Like you've got quality opportunities at basically week in and week out. Um, so it'll be. I, I do think they'll be in it at the end. I think Providence will be in it at the end. But these, this, these two months, like honestly, November, December are pretty critical though to making that a reality. All right, we'll round out this episode with the reigning champs. UConn um, absolutely demolished Stonehill. Not much of a game from the tip, uh, but all five starters in double figures. Um, Klingon looked good. He had a couple strange, uh, like legitimate, like off the backboard shots, which were confusing. I think when when you're up 25, you're just kind of messing around uh which is what he kind of was doing in the second half he only played 16 minutes um i know he's still recovering from you know his foot thing but um yeah yukon looked uh fantastic as they should have um against stone hill and uh yeah their next big test is coming up against unc in a couple weeks when no they play? this they, so they play i don't think we're actually going to learn a lot about yukon until december they ah. play Indiana at msg on november 19th like a week from today okay um Indiana, I think we're trying to still figure out what Indiana is. Um, they almost lost the Florida Gulf Coast at home. They've got a lot of new faces. They've got um, a lot to, I think, figure out on that team, especially after losing Trace Jackson Davis. I tell, wait, then, wait, wait, really quick on Indiana. Gabe yeah. Cups. Yep. Gabe Cups. Yep. My man. He's not just, he's not just Bronny's friend. Yo, Gabe Cup. Listen, they are going to eat that man up in Bloomington. Like, you know, they love yeah. Gabe Cup. That dude is such 
in, I mean, you could make an argument. He same thing for he is that an Indiana first possession player. where he was just. I mean, he's most active, dive on the floor like four he's, different times. That's all an over Indiana. The place. That's a yeah. That's an Indiana dude. That's an no, Indiana he, dude. He's, that that was a big time. It was a big time pickup for him. And he, it's a guy. It's not a one. It's not Mbako that like is automatically probably going to be gone after the season. Like no, but the talent's there, and he's a, it's a it's a program builder. They play Indiana at MSG, and then they'll play either if they win or lose. They'll play either Louisville or Texas. Yeah, Texas. Like I, I obviously, I think they'll probably play Texas, and that will be a good test for them. Texas is good. They pounded Incarnate Word in Delaware State, yep. and they've got they got some of the Kansas. Best guards. I mean, the fact that Texas I, people aren't talking about Texas having Max Amos and or Max Amos, Dylan Mitchell, yeah, Tyson. Max. God, I forgot Caden, about Max. Oh, got Caden Shedricks there. He didn't really do anything in the first games, but. um I would just like to, I would like to point that out that, and I get he's coming <laughs> off an injury, but I would like to point out that he played a total of 11 minutes or no, in each, he played 11 minutes in each game. Shedrick. Um, so I, it, he was annoying. I'm, I'm going to hold, I'm going to bite my tongue and, and not say any, say anything, but like Dylan Mitchell is one of the best post players in the country. Max Amos has been one of the best guards in the country for like three years. Tyrese Hunter is one of the best guards in the country. Texas is not really being talked about, I think, as much as they probably should be, um, and they're well-rounded. So that will be a good game. And then UConn then gets um, the big one. They play December 1st, Allen Fieldhouse, Kansas, somehow on ESPN2. I don't know what is on ESPN on a Friday night that's bigger than UConn, Kansas. Yeah, but I don't know either. I guess we'll, I guess we'll see. We'll Maybe, a, I guess, a bowl game. But in no, uh, maybe no, that, that seems too early. December but in, 1st. but in, yeah, but in, I mean, I know you're going to talk through it and but in 14 days they have kansas carolina and gonzaga Ooh. oh they do they yeah so they they get into it they do they get it, into they, it and, and then and then they gonzaga's leave Gonz- in seattle gonzaga's in seattle they're getting they're playing th- i mean uconn i know they're they get the two games at msg with the empire classic and then yep. the kansas is at allen Fieldhouse. um carolina games at madison square garden you're going out to play like that is, I mean, it's that's tough. something you recruit. I mean, no, that's, that's, and then they play St. John's at the garden. They're going to have four games at the garden before the big East tournament. They're getting ready, baby. And that, and you know, as well as I do, those UConn fans, as much as you hate it, rabid, like, they rabid. take over the garden and every single bar around there, around 34th, like are rabid. just packed. UConn, Husky, like, you see, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No doubt. Last, uh, I, I would do want to end on this. I don't know if you've watched him, but since we're we're highlighting the the Big East, yeah, Big Rick, St. John's. Oh yeah, that's actually shocking. We didn't talk about them yet. Ninety to seven. They've only played once. They played Stony Brook Tuesday night. They won ninety to seventy four. They looked great. Uh, Joel Soriano is awesome. Jo- Jordan Dingle. I think people are going to start talking about him more. Um, they've got Michigan at home tomorrow. So this is this will release. So as you're yeah. listening to this tonight. Um, and right now Ken Palm has that 77, 76, um, it's at MSG also saw Rick say, and once again, came out like wants to play at least 10 games a year in the garden, which okay. it, I will say from looking, if you watch the Stony Brook game and everyone that knows it, it's hard to get to Karnaseka on a weeknight uh, for a seven o'clock tip, like miserable. it looked kind of not empty, but there were a lot of open seats at the start. Because yeah. it's the subway doesn't go directly there. You got either subway to the very end of Jamaica and bus, or you got to deal with the traffic that's going back out to Long Island. So I, I get why he wants to play at MSG and hopefully like, but 
they are at a 56.2% offensive rebounding percentage against against Stony Brook. Like and they, they shot 50% from 3, 91 I saw the 50% from the free throw line. Three. 91% from the free throw line. Um like they're in yeah, they're they're going to be good and and they play Michigan, then they get like like honestly their schedule's not that they go North Texas, Holy Cross, WVU that just lost a tough one to Monmouth at home, Sacred Heart, Boston College, Fordham and before they start Big East play, like there's a good chance like they could people are like once we get into Big East that people are really starting to talk about St. I Thomas. mean, yeah, we all need Rick Pitino in the tournament. I mean, we just need it. We need it. No doubt. No, no doubt. Till Louisville calls. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't that be something? Oh, that would be amazing. Um, or, the all right, man. or the Knicks. In my wild fantasy of Rick Patino completes it, so it goes back to the Knicks. Donovan Mitchell comes home, plays for his old coach against his team. Like, give me, give me uh Rick Patino coaching. That's how you can coach 10 games a year at Madison Square Garden, Rick. Just uh yeah, get Tibbs just... out of town, get Julius Randall out of town. Randall's got to go. Randall's got to go. Randall. But I don't know if Carl Anthony Towns is much better. So I don't know. No, really yeah, he's there. getting crushed too. Um, all right, that wraps for episode 137. We'll be back here next Sunday. After after James Madison University hosts college game day with the Stick. Jonas Brothers in town. No better time to be in Harrisonburg, Virginia. No better time be to, to hop on that bandwagon right there. I mean, let's go Dukes. Great time to be a Duke. Great time to be a Duke. Until next time, keep the ball bouncing. Lately, I've been feeling like this is what I've been working towards. If you ain't trying to be the boss, then tell me what you're working for. Certain doors are closed, but now they opening up. Celebrating with some shots, maybe poke on a cup. Pulls, lust, rustles up next, and I got this. Crazy like Britney and the love so toxic. Got a wall up, I'm trying to infiltrate a conscious. Taking 12 shots like where the cops is. Come on.